0: A while back on our Discover the Word Facebook page, we asked a question about what you would like the group to study. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries where we invite you to explore the scriptures with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasool Berry, and occasionally a guest who joins us at the table as well. And in fact, we keep an empty chair at the table to remind us that you are part of the group and studying along with us. And So when we asked the question about what to study, a number of you mentioned that you'd like to study an entire book of the Bible. Uh, normally our studies last for one episode or sometimes two. and We study ideas that come from passages in both the Old and New Testaments and while we work to understand the wider context of those passages, we don't generally cover an entire book. Well since you thought you'd like us to take a little bit longer if necessary and study a book, Let's do that. Let's take the next six weeks, our next six podcast episodes, and focus on Paul's New Testament letter to the churches in Galatia. It's a study of Galatians that we're going to call It's All About Grace. And that begins next here on Discover the Word. And it is good to have you here as the Discover the Word group begins this study of Galatians. Now, Rasul will not be part of this study of Galatians, but Bill will be leading us through chapters 1 and 2. Daniel will lead chapters 3 and 4. And then Elisa has chapters 5 and 6. And Mart will be doing his usual excellent job of keeping us focused and grounded and dealing with the questions that form in our minds about what Paul was addressing in this letter. And I think we'll find that what Paul was helping these Christians with in the first century is going to speak into things that we tend to struggle with as well. Looking forward to how much of a difference these next six episodes are going to make on a number of different levels. And so let's open up our Bibles to Galatians chapter 1 and get started discovering why the message that it's all about grace was so key for the Galatians to get and why it's so key for us today as well. How do you feel about reading other people's mail?
1: It all depends on whether or not they know that you're reading their mail, right? (laughs) Right, (laughs) if they're reading
2: it to you or if you've gone and snuck it out, yeah. Now Mm -hmm. you
3: say mail, I think of when you're sitting at a table and you've got your friends around you and one of them has their phone sitting up And they get a text message, and you kind of look over, and you're like, oh, I wonder what is that from. You don't do that, do you? I would never (laughs) do that. I may have once or twice. Well, put a different way, how do you feel
4: about listening to half of a telephone conversation? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're in an airport, you don't have any choice because it seems like everybody talking on the, <laughs> the phone in the airport talks yeah. uber loud. Why yeah. is
2: that? Isn't that just annoying? Yeah.
4: But you just turn that out, right? Yeah. Right.
3: I think of when I go into a grocery store, I remember the first time that I saw a Bluetooth headset. <laughs> I didn't see it. <laughs> yeah. And so somebody's talking in the cereal aisle, and I'm like, I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah. and, May I help you?
3: Oh, they're not talking to me. They're yeah. talking to somebody on their phone. <laughs> that
4: happens a lot. There is something both uncomfortable and maybe naive mm-hmm. about reading somebody else's mail or listening to half of a phone conversation. The uncomfortable part is we know that it wasn't written to us and that they aren't talking to us in the cereal aisle. Mm. And if you get caught, <laughs> <laughs> there could be some real discomfort involved. There are even laws against opening other people's mail yeah. uh, here in our Touching country. Touching their
3: mailbox. That's uh, right. like, really? yeah, you can't even open somebody else's mailbox. I think mailbox. it's a federal offense. It
4: is. The naive part about it, however, is that we could walk away thinking we understood the conversation when we'd only heard half of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have incomplete data, in a sense. And uh, the reason why I wanted us to think about this for a minute is because we're going to start a great adventure together as a group <laughs> here in this little room with our friends at the table. For our group as Discover the Word, we've never done a book study before. Right, but. Today, we're going to begin a six-week journey of reading somebody else's mail and hearing half of a conversation.
3: And by our group, you mean these four people sitting at the table. Because yes. you used to do that a lot. Right. Right, Mark? Yes.
4: Yeah. In the former group with Had and Alice and Mart, there were a lot of lengthy studies, sometimes with entire books like the book of Ruth or the book of James. This is our first shot at it mm-hmm. as a group.
2: We haven't yet said what the book is. We're
4: doing Galatians. So we're going to start reading somebody else's mail today, and we're going to read the first part, and it's just the greeting. So go to Galatians 1, and uh, for today, we just want to hit verses 1 through 5, and uh, Elisa, if you would read 1 and 2, and Daniel, if you would read 3, 4, and 5, please.
2: Galatians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia.
3: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.
4: Now, if we were going to do a proper biblical introduction of this letter, we would really get heavily into a lot of history and geography, and all of those are important. But I think for us, what we want to lift up are the who, what, when, where, why kind of issues to give us some bearings as we jump into the middle of this thing. So first question is, who's writing? Paul, who
3: is an apostle.
1: Yeah, but it's kind of a group thing, isn't it? He identifies himself... Mm-hmm. But then he says, along with all the brothers and sisters Mm -hmm. who were with me, Mm -hmm. two groups of people.
2: That's a pop, Mart, you know, and I don't know that I've noticed that in a lot of Paul's writing. Is this an unusual thing for Paul to have written with brothers and sisters, or is this customary?
4: I actually was just doing some reading about this a couple of months ago, and it's very interesting. Randy Richards, who's been with us Mm -hmm. here at this table before, and a couple other folks you were talking about team writing. They talked about the letter writing process in the ancient world, that it was very different. You had a stenographer and you paid that stenographer by the word, and they have had to make their own paper and their own ink and their own quills. It's a fascinating process, yeah. but a lot of times it was a group project and people would kind of offer. There'd be ideas. conversations about yeah. an idea. What's the best way to say this? It would kind of be a group effort. And sometimes Paul would identify in some of his letters the other persons with him mm-hmm. by name that's right yes yeah. uh, here he doesn't but he does tell us he's not the lone ranger yeah. he's not in this alone
3: he's got friends with him who are on board but even with that though he does say members of God's family brothers yeah. and yeah. sisters mm-hmm. so yeah. this isn't just some random group of people he's hanging out with right as he's writing the letter these are people that he wants the Galatians to realize hey they come from the same background yeah. that you do
1: he says that he's writing in behalf of yeah. The Lord Jesus Christ.
3: That's That's
2: huge. Yeah, he elevates, if you will. That sounds arrogant. But he identifies himself as an apostle, Mm -hmm. not sent by any man. A sent one. So
4: it's not just his message. It's not just, yeah. That becomes a big theme that we will see repeatedly in this letter. Because again, we're only getting half the conversation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's important to realize that part of that, we believe that the other half of the conversation was that his apostleship was being attacked. And so that's why he has to defend it so vigorously throughout the letter.
1: Could I just ask a question? Yeah. We keep saying we've only got one half the conversation, and that makes a really good point, I think. Yeah. But is it as bad as?
4: As only... how we
2: began this conversation, talking yeah. about reading other I mean, people's mail?
4: I think what we do is we make educated assumptions. Paul says this. Why would he think it necessary to say that? Why would he think it important to say that? He's facing opposition. We know that Okay. because that's already a key part of the letter that we're going to discover together in the weeks to come. We know that he's under attack and his ministry is under attack. So it's not unreasonable then to say he's defending his apostleship because his apostleship is being attacked. So I think you
3: make a good point, Mark.
4: And we probably will get the most important side of the conversation right right,
3: for us. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) So we're thankful for that. And we have a little bit of an advantage because we're getting the response to the attack. And quite a few times throughout this letter, Paul says something like, you're starting to believe this but I've heard what I want say you to this. think, or sure. I've heard mm-hmm. you say this, or mm-hmm. I know the false teachers that we're going to talk about in a minute. I know that they have been teaching you this, but this is what... So by having the response, we have a little bit more information because Paul actually addresses very specific things that those false teachers are saying. That's
4: good. By contrast, just real quickly, and then we'll move on, but 1 Corinthians is the classic example where you know Paul is answering questions. There are specific reasons why he's saying what he's saying, and he tells us what those reasons are. Here, we kind of have to make some leaps to get there, but they're reasonable leaps. They aren't unreasonable leaps. So who's he writing to?
2: Well, this is interesting. In verse 2, to the churches... In Galatia. Mm -hmm. Often we will hear Paul's letters to a specific church, but here there's a group of churches Mm -hmm. in a region, like Galatia's a region. So it'd be like to the churches in New York or the churches in Texas Mm -hmm. or the churches in California or in a county or something.
4: So where was Galatia?
1: In the present-day region of Turkey, right? Right, right. It was it a part of the Roman Empire at yes. that time?
2: It's an area that Paul went to on, was it his first missionary yeah. journey? He would plant churches along the way in this area called mm-hmm. Galatia. So perhaps he's writing to those, knowing those churches. Yeah.
1: So then it's going to be a
4: letter that's going to have to move around from church yeah. to church. Which right, is and fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, the letter that we call Colossians, written to he was also intended to be read in Laodicea. So here we have multiple audiences, but the same problem. Hmm. Now, Daniel, you've got chapters three and four in our study. What's the problem?
3: That there's these false teachers that have come in, and they're teaching what they are presenting as kind of a newer perspective, but it's an old perspective, which is basically moving away from grace and toward trying to follow the Old Testament law. They're adding that to it, right? Yeah, to go backwards on what they've heard from Paul In fact, there's a really fascinating passage about this concept of being made much of, and it's this idea that they want this group of followers so that they look good, and they want to pull those followers, which are the churches in Galatia, away from Paul to follow them instead.
1: Yeah, so they weren't saying Jesus is not the Messiah. Correct. But they would say, okay, when you believe that,
4: don't trash
1: Moses, It's Jesus and. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
4: It's grace and, and Paul— is going to build a fierce, and I mean fierce, Mm -hmm. case that it's not grace and, it's grace only. Mm -hmm. And that's really going to be the main argument of the letter, which I think makes it very interesting how he opens the letter. Read again, verse 3, Daniel. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a kind of a common greeting that Paul uses a lot in his letters, but it has an ironic connotation in Mm -hmm. Galatians because he's writing to them about the supremacy of grace over law. So tomorrow uh, we're going to dive into the body of the letter and Paul's going to talk about grace. He's going to talk about the message of Jesus. This is not about Moses anymore. It's all about Jesus and the grace that he came to give. When you're getting ready to make a big purchase, like, say, a car or a new TV or something, where do you go for trustworthy information? Oh,
2: my husband goes to Consumer Reports. Absolutely. Okay.
3: I usually talk to friends
4: okay, who
2: okay. have
3: seen to have a car that's run a long time or whatever and find out if that's actually the case or they just spend a lot of money on keeping it running. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I try to catch the reviews, too. Mm-hmm. So often in magazines, there will be yes. there'll be reviews of yeah. the new
2: cars. Or online yeah. yeah. J.B.
4: Power, I think, is one of the car right. ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, once I find something mm-hmm. I like, I just stay with it. I mean, the brand of TV that I watch now, it's like the third or fourth one of that brand that we've had just because we've had good success with them. We like them. We know how they work. So for me, it's largely past experience, yeah. which is a whole hmm. different way of doing it. But really, when we're talking about that, what we're talking about, who do we trust. Mm-hmm. You know, Evan trusts Consumer Reports. Mark trusts JD Power. You trust your friends. I trust past experience. But we're looking at who do we trust as a viable source of information in making a big decision? Believe it or not, that brings us back to Galatians. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because in the most important decision in life, who are you going to trust as a trustworthy messenger? to bring you the right information about that decision. And by the most important decision in life, I mean the eternal decision of what you're going to do about relationship with God
3: or the lack of it. Can I just say that this question of who do you trust is probably one of the primary driving conversations that my friends and I, and I think probably a lot of my generation struggles with because we've watched political systems say one thing to get elected whether that's true or not even in the church they're teaching things that make them look good so that they can grow a church or something like that and so i think this question of like we're tired of the marketing that tries to say this is how it is this is the best thing and then you buy it and it breaks the next day and so i think that question of who do you trust especially related to faith is a huge question
2: Hmm, especially yeah. for your generation, you're saying. Yeah.
1: Daniel, are you talking about, are we going right to the top or are we going to the marketers for a mm. product or for an idea? Or for, Do you know what I'm saying?
3: Yeah. I think maybe it started with the products and maybe in marketing of seeing over promises and under delivering. Uh-huh. But then I think the political landscape has reinforced okay. that even the leaders we're supposed to trust mm-hmm. tend to say things that aren't necessarily true. And then, when it comes to the church, I mean, we're surrounded by different belief systems and different perspectives denominationally on this right. or that or whatever. And so it's hard to know, like, okay, who are the people that I'm actually going to sure. look to and, and trust what they say over this person who's saying something different?
1: Okay, because when you talked about who we trust for the most important things in life, my
4: question was, are you talking about God? Jesus, are you talking about his spokespersons? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think the two become interconnected because even though the message is more important than the messenger, many times the message can't be separated from the messenger. Mm -hmm. And so as we come into Galatians chapter 1 today, this is going to be about messengers and their messages and who you're going to trust.
2: And how they're representing the ultimate decision that we are going to make. right. Mm -hmm. Right.
4: So let's get into it. Let's look. Martin, would you read Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9? Okay.
1: Paul writes, I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You're following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it's not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who are deliberately twisting the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preached to you. I say again, what we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed.
4: Okay, well, let's start at the end. That's fairly weighty language, isn't it? Several times says, let them be cursed. Paul's not messing around. He's saying there are two different Gospels being presented, two different sets of good news, and there are two different groups of people presenting that good news. And there is such a fierce difference between those two sets of good news that he calls for those opponents presenting fake news,
2: fake good news, (laughs) to be accursed. That's powerful language. And accursed, is that a Present condition, an eternal condition. How is Paul meaning that?
4: Well, he doesn't define what he means by it. The word itself is the word anathema, which means devoted to destruction, which could mean temporal just as easily as some might interpret it to mean eternal. Sure. Either way, and I think far more likely he's speaking on a temporal level, not an eternal level. This is weighty language mm-hmm, by which he is trying to get the Galatians' attention and say, This is a big deal. It's not like one from column A and two from column B. It's not like you're at the smorgasbord and you can pick whatever. No, this is a big decision. Who are you going to trust? So go back to where he started. In my translation, there are a couple of big ideas about what the false teachers are doing. He says in verse six, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him. The word deserting is a military term technically for somebody who deserts hmm. on the field of battle. It's like AWOL. Going AWOL. Hmm. The second one is in verse 7, only there are some who are disturbing you. This is actually a political term to mean to throw into confusion. My translation says who are confusing you. Yeah. Uh-huh. What Paul is telling him here is that there are gospels and there are gospels. <laughs> there's good news and then there's good news but not all that claims to be good news is really good news.
2: Because in verse seven in the NIV, it says trying to pervert the gospel of Mm -hmm. Christ, which actually would go even further than what you just said. It would be, there is a gospel and then there's a perversion.
4: Yeah. And understand, you know, when we hear him say my gospel versus their gospel, I don't think that he means it as it's me against them. Mm
2: -hmm.
4: He, in his ministry as an apostle, is validated because of the message that he has been given to present. And it is that message, the faith question, Daniel, that you talked about earlier, that's what's on the table here.
2: Because that's how he starts it. He identifies himself as an apostle mm-hmm. sent, not by men, not by anybody who's perverting anything, but by Jesus, by yeah, God he's himself. He's
4: been authorized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: There's a purity in it.
4: And when he says they're deserting, he doesn't say you're deserting me. Notice what he said again in verse 6, you're deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. Again, it's all about grace, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And we will see that the message they're bringing twists, distorts, confuses, because it brings other things in that are disruptive to the message of mm-hmm. grace. So before we go any further, we need to spend a couple minutes talking about grace, mm-hmm. What is grace? What does it mean, and why does it matter? I've often heard it defined as
3: undeserved favor. Mm-hmm.
2: Definitions are clunky. Grace is such a beautiful, pure, simple word, but when we try to express it and define it, so I have to heard that, Daniel, and undeserved favor or love. It's a kind of unconditional acceptance that I don't do anything to deserve or to Mm -hmm. get. All I do is let it fall on me. Mm -hmm. I yield to it is a different way of expressing it maybe.
4: Yeah, you can't earn it.
2: You can't earn it.
4: And I'm so glad you said that because that is exactly what Paul's arguing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can't earn it. But what we're going to find is that this different good news, this distorted, twisted, confusing good news is a good news that's saying you still have to earn it. You have to earn it by following Moses, by following the law, by following all of the ritual and all the ceremony that was part of Israel's covenant with God in the Old Testament. What Paul is saying, without using the technical language, is you're under a new covenant. Mm -hmm. It's a new agreement that has been struck with God. And it's not been struck in stone on tablets in Sinai. It's been struck in blood through the Son of God. Who gave himself on the cross for us. Go back
3: and read again verse 3 and 4. Daniel, you have that? Mm -hmm. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.
4: That's grace. He gave himself for us. To set us free, we can't earn it. Paul's opponents are telling people they have to, and Paul will not stand for it. He's going to fight for grace because that's what matters.
0: Yeah, if you have to earn it, then it's not grace. And in this case, we're incapable of earning it anyway. And that's why there's so much at stake in Paul's letter to the Galatians. This is not something you want to misunderstand. And so right from the beginning, we're seeing here in Galatians chapter one, Paul is making the message of grace crystal clear and trying to put these false teachings to rest. Well, you're listening to the Discover the Word podcast with Marte Hahn, Alisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. And when this edition continues, they're going to talk about our tendency to gravitate toward people-pleasing, even though we know in reality that you can't ever please everyone all the time. And so what do you do? Just worry about yourself? Well, most of the time that doesn't turn out well either because selfishness is rarely the way to a better life. Well, Paul has something to say about this subject right from the front end of this letter. And so that's where the group goes right after we take a short time out. Now, as we get this study of Galatians started, I'd like to point you toward another valuable Bible engagement resource from our Daily Bread Ministries the classic Our Daily Bread devotional. We want to encourage you to spend time with God every day if possible and discover more about God's amazing grace. And that's why we make these devotionals free to anyone who wants to read them. These daily devotionals are a great tool to connect with God on a daily basis. And it just takes a minute to sign up and then you'll have a daily reminder of God's love that'll be available to you on an app, uh, in an email, or a physical copy of the booklet That will send to your mailing address. Just click on subscribe and choose your preferred delivery method when you go to ODB for Our Daily Bread, odb.org. That's odb.org. And now let's listen as the group takes another step forward to Galatians chapter 1 and verses 10 through 12 and discovers how people-pleasing ties into this issue of grace. Are you a pleaser? Oh, I think so.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I am too. I try not to be, but I am.
4: Yeah,
3: guilty
1: as charged. You know, it's hard to admit, isn't it? It is.
2: Yeah, a little shame follows that admission. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. but
1: but I really want the affirmation of others. I don't like it when somebody else is just saying you don't live up to it. You don't meet up to the...
2: Yeah. I don't like conflict. I mean, when I'm really honest. And so I will do a lot of pleasing to avoid it. I try to stay true to myself and my God while I do it, but I can skirt things.
3: When I'm thinking even psychologically, sometimes when I push back, It's for the purpose of people looking at me and saying, oh, he's smart. (laughs) Even pushback and trying to argue is sometimes trying to please in a different way. And
1: even if we're not thinking it in those conscious words, it's kind of like we sense that's what's going
4: on here. Mm -hmm. Right. Is it ever good to be a pleaser? Well,
2: I was just thinking that, Bill, because wait a minute. I mean, to please God is a lovely thing. Mm -hmm. You know, that's to stand in truth and love and grace. Is it evil if
4: I want to please my wife by doing something for her? Yeah.
2: That's lovely. It's very selfless and sacrificial.
4: It can be. Mm. <laughs> it can be selfless. It's yeah. not always as selfless. It can be selfless. What do you mean? Well, I think even at our best moments, we have mixed motives. There's a little bit of a what's in it for me in there, you know. Billy, <laughs> really, in your case, it's so you can buy that new golf club. Of course. Yeah, if I'm nice to her, maybe she'll let me play golf
3: next week. <laughs> so <laughs> Maybe this is a good example. It's like when I buy gifts for my kids. I know sometimes the gift that they want, but how annoying that toy would be if I got it for them. And mm. so I find something else that would be, still please them, but it'll definitely please me, too.
2: <laughs> We're complicated beings. We are. Oh, my goodness.
3: To your
4: point, Elisa, yes. Ultimately, we should want to please the audience of one, that we should want to please our Father.
1: And don't the scriptures also talk about pleasing one another
4: and not just for mm-hmm. ourselves? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the not just for ourselves part where we can kind of get <laughs> all wrapped up. So. <laughs> in fact, that's
2: where we're going to get at the end of this conversation. Yeah. In chapters five and six, there is a lot there about pleasing one another. You're that's right. right.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, we're in this study in Galatians, and Paul has really thrown down the gauntlet with his frontal assault, really, on the false teachers who have come in with a different message and has started to pull people away from the message of grace that Paul had brought. And we saw that yesterday. Today, we're going to see him really going toe-to-toe with them. And if you remember back to Monday, we talked a little bit about when you read somebody else's mail, you're only reading half the conversation, This is going to be one of those places where I think maybe we're seeing half of a conversation in verses 10 through 12 of Galatians chapter 1. So, Elisa, why don't you read 10 through 12 for us today?
2: Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? There's our question, right? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ.
4: Okay, now when we looked at 6 through 9 yesterday, and he was really going after the false teachers, and he ended up with saying, let them be accursed,
3: Mm -hmm.
4: to suddenly take the turn and say okay, am I trying to please people here? It sounds like an odd statement to make unless we infer the other half of the conversation. Here's what scholars suspect to be the case, and I want us to throw this around and see if we think it holds water. It would appear that the false teachers are accusing Paul of being a people pleaser And because he's a people pleaser, he's preaching an easy message.
2: Because why else would he bring it up kind of thing?
4: Obviously, it seems somebody is accusing him Mm -hmm. of trying to please people by preaching what they call a soft message. Rather than the high rules of Mm -hmm. Moses. It's got to be costly. And by costly, I mean, yeah, you're Gentiles, but you've got to get circumcised. You've got to start following the law. You've got to start doing all the Moses stuff. And so they're saying if Paul was a real messenger he'd bring a message that was hard, not easy. Now, have we ever heard similar things in our generation? Sure.
3: What makes grace not as easy as people say? We can't take credit for it, for one. <laughs> That's often the hardest thing. Like Bill, I think in one of our other conversations
1: you talked about, this is all about grace. Yeah. The hair in the back of our neck goes up and we hear that. We say, wait a minute, there's a lot more than that. It's not just a matter of being forgiven you got to want to live a better life. you got to turn from all of the sin, the false ways, the evil, and pursue a God who calls you to higher ground.
2: Well, and at the end of the letter, Paul's going to spend two whole chapters talking about, we do look different. We are Mm -hmm. different. We live different because of grace. So it is a little confusing.
4: But it doesn't have to be confusing if you understand that it is all about grace. Mm -hmm. Because just as it is grace that rescues us, as you were saying, Daniel, so that we can't take credit for it. It's also grace that enables us to live in a different way. Just as we can't come to Christ in our own power, we can't live for him in our own power. It is all about grace. Mm -hmm. And that's what Paul's fighting for so hard here. Because the moment we start thinking any of it's about us, we're in big trouble. Now, I want us to land on this phrase, am I striving to please men Am I striving to please people? Why is that such a problem?
2: Because we'll just die on that. I mean, if you've ever found yourself trying to please your employer, trying to please Mm -hmm. your spouse, trying to please your children, trying to please your friends, you become enslaved Mm. to that. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we're trying to please God and live out of grace, Mm -hmm. we will at times please, and we will at times displease those around us.
1: Mm. But you know, it... And you've already acknowledged this is confusing, though, Mm -hmm. because like you said, Bill, it can be a really important thing to do to want to please others. And it can be, Elisa, like you're saying, a way of just ruining our
3: lives. I think what I'm hearing is it's that focus piece. What are we focused on? Because I identify very much with what you're describing, Elisa. When I'm focused on, when all my energy is put toward pleasing others, that is the fast track to burnout. Because instead of having healthy balance for myself, whether it's sleep or eating the right things or just time to think, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm so focused on pleasing other people that very quickly I end up at this spot where not only do I not want to please people anymore, but I just want to escape or run Mm -hmm. away and you get that burnout feel. Mm -hmm. And so it almost feels like maybe the focus is Mm -hmm. a key part to this. What is all my energy being used for? Is it to please people or is it to please God?
4: And I think that is exactly the struggle. There's constantly this expectation that you have to live up to. And then you say, well, why do I have to live up to that? But then you try to live up to it. And that's why Paul sets it in contrast. Am I now seeking the favor of people or of God? How can isolating by grace, I want to make sure we realize we can't do this by our own willpower, but how by grace... Can focusing on pleasing God
3: cover all the other bases? Mm. Reminds me of the greatest commandment and the one like it. You love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then you love your neighbor as yourself. And you have all three pieces there. Loving God, loving others, loving yourself. Mm. But it has to begin with loving God. But even before that,
1: realizing how much he's loved us Mm. to by grace, call us into his family, give us life.
2: I think that's why I think yesterday we talked about how do you define grace? And I stumbled around trying to come up with it. We all do. And we talked about how definitions of grace can be clunky. I suggested a word yield. I think for me, and as I've grown and aged (laughs) and rounded back on this topic many times, grace boils down to, am I letting God love me? Hmm. And that's the way I love God back Mm -hmm. by letting him love me. That's the way I live out my faith, by letting God love me. And it's kind of goofy to talk Mm -hmm. about it. But Paul says other places that grace is a gift. Well, will I receive it? Mm -hmm. Will I let it do its work in me? Will I let it reign supreme in my life? It's confusing, Mm -hmm. but it's also simple. Mm -hmm. And we make it much harder than I think God meant it to be.
4: And I think that's so good because it is confusing and it is simple, (laughs) but it's when we start throwing ourselves and our own energy and our own effort in there, that's when we start losing ground. And I love the way Paul wraps up this part of the text that we've been looking at. To him, the evidence of the fact that he's trying to please God and not people is not that he's preaching an easy gospel. It's that he's preaching the gospel that he's been given by God. Given. (laughs) He has been given a task, he has been given a message, and by fulfilling that call, he's pleasing God. Now whether it pleases people or not, okay, that comes along with the territory. But his first goal is, I didn't receive this for men. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. What other message could I bring that could be better than that? How do you know that you are a follower of Jesus? Oh, come on, Bill.
2: <laughs> it's like that old, it sounds like a squirrel, but I think the answer is supposed to be Jesus. It's that kind of a question? I mean, I was supposed mm-hmm. to say, you can tell I'm a follower of Jesus by the way I live. Yeah. But that's not what you asked.
1: And I don't like the question because I'm not going to say I'm a follower of Jesus. I can tell you, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Okay. Because mm-hmm. in the deepest part of me, mm-hmm. I believe he's the best person who has ever lived And I don't know of anyone else on the face of the earth now or ever who deserves to be followed like him. But it's
2: not because he was a good guy. I mean, the best person who ever lives, a lot of people would say he was a great teacher and he was just an amazing man. But there's more to it There's more to it than that and that
1: in the process by being willing to die for us. He was doing what he said he was doing. He was mm-hmm. revealing the Father, mm-hmm. the heart of the Father in heaven. You're right.
2: And he came to life. He was yes. resurrected. But
1: my point is, I don't want to say I'm a follower. I don't feel like I'm faithful to him. I feel like there's mm-hmm. so many ways I've fallen short.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. Yeah. I feel a little more comfortable saying following because following doesn't necessarily mean that you do it well. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so I feel okay saying that. But I think the reason is because there have been these moments in my life where something happens in me or to me or I respond in a certain way that I don't usually respond that way. Mm -hmm. And it's gracious in an opportunity that shouldn't have been gracious or kind at a time that I shouldn't have been kind. Mm -hmm. And I'm surprised by it because I know what my natural response should Mm -hmm. be in that moment. It's those times where grace shows up in my life and there's no other explanation other than something else is at work in me. And it must be Jesus because it's how He treated people, yeah. or something like and that. And
1: I've sensed that too. I think we all have. It's not so much at that point that I'm following Him, but He's He's doing something right. in me that. Yeah. I
4: And I love the fact, Daniel, that all the time that you were unpacking that idea, you kept saying grace, yeah. grace, mm-hmm. grace, because mm-hmm. it's all about grace. And so, how can you know in your own heart that you're a follower of Jesus, because you see grace coming to bear in life situations? that make things different than they were before you came to know Jesus.
2: Yeah, and I can see that too. And I'm kind of on a teeter-totter here. It's like on one side, you're choosing to follow the best you can after Jesus. And the other side, once you do that, you begin to see a product of grace in your life. But for me too, and I'm on the first side of the teeter-totter thinking, it's the reason for the hope within me. I do believe and I'm trusting Mm-hmm. That that's all I have to do. Yeah. That mm-hmm. Jesus has done the rest. Because mm-hmm.
1: yeah, otherwise I'm sunk. I mean, exactly. because otherwise, and it seems like it happens over and over again. Yeah. I think I haven't changed. Mm-hmm. I'm still a mess. Ugh. I'm still distracted uh-huh. out of my mind. I still do not love my neighbor as myself. I don't love the Lord with all my heart, soul, and mind. And Jesus, I talk a lot about him, but so much of my life doesn't reflect him.
4: But there are glimpses of God-light. Yes. There are glimpses when we see what life looks like when grace is engaged. Yes. And it's those moments that make me realize I'm not the same person I used to be. Yeah. Now, I'm not the same person that I ought to be, <laughs> but I'm also not the same person that I used yeah, to be. That's a good be. way to yeah. put it. And, that and, should be on a plaque someplace. <laughs> yeah. It probably
3: well, is. And I think it's easier when we see it in other people. Like, I would have liked this question better if it was, who do you know uh-huh. that you see of as a Christ follower? Yeah. That would be an easier question to answer because I can think of those people. And, Bill, you're right. It's when they're gracious— And they have this spirit about them of graciousness Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. or grace or peace or whatever it is in that moment. Those are those moments where I'm like, oh, man, they're different. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: I think you're right. And I'm sorry, I'm stuck on this. And I (laughs) realize I'm probably missing something. (laughs) But again, saying we're following Jesus. I have more sense. He's pursuing us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He, by his grace, is pursuing us. Now, why do we have to think of ourselves as his followers? Well, other I know there's something wrong with what I'm saying. <laughs> no, no. I think
4: it's both and. I don't think it has to be either or. I think you're absolutely right in the sense that it's about what he is doing, not about what we are doing. Nevertheless, he also said, if anyone's going to come after me, let him take up his cross and follow, follow me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think both elements are there, and I think they're important. I think you're right. But I do think that at its core, grace transforms. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't in this life make us perfect but it does make us different. But it also first accepts us as we are. That's exactly right. And Paul is going to talk about that next because as we saw in our last conversation, his ministry and message have come under attack. So he begins to talk about why he knows he's a follower of Christ. He begins to talk about the evidence of how grace has brought change in his life. The rest of chapter 1 is really going to be about his story of transformation. I'm not what I was. I'm not what I will be, but I'm not what I was. So let's look at that. And Galatians 1, 13 through 18. And Daniel, if you'll give us 13 and 14 and
3: Elisa 15 through 18. You have heard no doubt of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors.
2: In verse 15, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus.
4: Okay, now, once again, we're going to start at the end. We're talking about change. The biggest connection between Paul and Damascus is he was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians when he came to know Christ on the Damascus road. Now, he's returning to Damascus, but this time to preach the gospel that he was fighting against before. So there's radical transformation there. But did you notice between what Daniel read and what Elisa read, the big difference? 13 and 14 was all about Moses. It was all about ancestral traditions. It was all about ritual. It was all about Judaism. And not just that he was there. I mean, he was all in.
2: How awesome Paul was as a Jew. Uh This is kind of like Philippians
4: 3, born a Hebrew of the Hebrews, I'm a Pharisee, all those things that were credentials. But then he says in verse 15, but God through his grace, and there it comes again, his entire life was changed directionally, not completely behaviorally, certainly, but directionally, his whole life was changed by grace.
2: And there's something in verses 13 and 14 that Daniel read that is his pedigree his whole life, what he'd been doing. And then, bing, in 15, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by grace, was pleased to reveal his son, it's like all of that pedigree of Judaism is erased. And he goes right back to the womb. I mean, imagine Mm -hmm. a baby... Being born, that's when God's call on His life of grace begins. A baby does nothing but be born, you yeah. know, and it just mm-hmm. wipes out that human achievement.
4: And I think it's so interesting because in Philippians three, where he lists all those pedigree things, he says, "I counted all those things worthless mm-hmm. compared to the grace of God." Yeah. And when you hear this man telling his story, you understand why he's so passionate about the message, yeah. don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not just a well, you know, this is negotiable. We can do a, no, no. The second you start getting into the law, the second you start getting into human effort, you've lost the whole ball game.
2: Can I ask in verse 17, why didn't Paul go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before but instead went to Arabia? That sounds almost arrogant. like well, it's not going to be taught by.:
4: We're going to see that it's not arrogant this is his wilderness time. Mm. As is so often the case in the scriptures, God takes his people into a wilderness to build them and to teach them and to train them and to prepare them. He's in the wilderness being taught by God. This is him learning this message
2: So he's emphasizing, I wasn't taught by a man. I was taught by Jesus. This is a gospel that didn't come from a human, but from God. What he's
4: doing is he's describing what he said in yesterday's conversation, that the gospel that I bring was not given to be by man, but by revelation of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And this is how it happened. Mm -hmm. But it happened in this pivotal life change moment when everything that had been law and human effort was moved to the side and grace took its place. And now... Again, we know that Paul doesn't get it right all the time. He's not perfect. He has issues. And there are times when he has attitudes. We know that. But the entire trajectory of his life was changed when he encountered grace on the Damascus Road. He was going to Damascus to preach hate. Now he's going to Damascus to preach grace. That's the story of Paul's life.
2: Mark, you helped us understand how God pursues us. God pursued him on that road, and Paul was found.
0: Yeah, grace truly does transform. There is a transforming power in the gospel, and we can see evidence of that in our own lives, and there may not be a greater example than Paul himself. He started off persecuting Christians, but on the Damascus Road, when Paul encountered Jesus and Paul encountered grace... His life took a 180-degree turn, and his new mission now would be to take that message of grace to the ends of the earth. Well, the group will close the first part of this study of Galatians by talking more about that radical before and after transformation in Paul's life. But first, let me take just a moment to remind you that Discover the Word and all the resources that we produce here at Our Daily Bread Ministries are made possible because of the voluntary giving of friends like you. We are a global ministry with offices in 35 countries around the world that help distribute our digital and print resources in over 150 countries worldwide. And so when you give, you are helping us make the life-changing story of Jesus and the wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. Please partner with us in this important mission by giving online at discovertheword.org Click on the Donate icon there at discovertheword.org. And now let's listen as the group wraps up chapter one of Galatians and our study, It's All About Grace.
4: You know, we've talked before about before and after. Where do we see some before and after kind of things in our culture today?
2: Oh, reveals of home makeovers. You know, you see mm-hmm. this moldy, dilapidated mm-hmm. house that's been totally rejuvenated. yeah. And brought up to date, yeah.
1: And it's about transformation. Mm-hmm. Before and after in personal
3: appearance. Maybe yeah. somebody has lost a lot of weight or yeah. they've just gotten a new haircut. Right.
2: Or, mm-hmm. yeah.
3: Before and after with cars. Yeah. You know, it used to be this simple car anybody could get. And by the time we're done, it's... In my neck of the woods, (laughs) it's a
2: truck. It's quite a
4: bit
3: taller with much bigger tires
4: by the time you're done. It makes a lot more noise. (laughs) Thank you for bringing the southern precincts in. Uh, Yeah, you know, and that's a very low level thing compared to what Paul's talking about at the highest possible level of change. But he started talking about the before and after of his life. And what was the before that he described? Violently persecuting Mm. the church of God trying
1: to destroy it. Because of his deep commitment to the law of Moses, yeah. to the culture of the
4: Jewish people.
2: Extreme zeal for the traditions yeah. of the yeah. fathers. It's, yeah, and yeah.
4: he even is very, very specific. And I think he's very specific because of the conflict that he's facing. But he's very specific in saying, I was trying to advance Judaism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the before was all about zealously persecuting, trying to destroy. All, ooh.
2: And can we say he meant well? Yeah. He thought this was obedience and even necessary mm-hmm. obedience to advancing his cause of Judaism but himself as well.
3: Yeah, and he probably would have related that to not just for himself but for God. Mm-hmm. Right.
4: Because that's the piece we often don't keep hold of. We just think gosh, what a nasty person, you know. And mm-hmm. okay, they're doing a lot of nasty things but they think they're doing the right thing and in John 16 in the upper room discourse toward the end of it Jesus says to his followers there will even come a time when those who persecute you think they are serving God yeah that's
2: paul yeah yeah i
4: mean it's not only paul
2: but it is paul and it's us at times yeah it really is us mm-hmm. it's kind of brings me up short to think he had no clue all the time that he was doing it, Mm -hmm. that this was against God Mm -hmm. until he is transformed.
1: You know, looking back over the course of my life, I've seen the way our culture has changed, the way the church has changed, the way my own approach to scripture has changed. And one of the deep regrets of my life is the harm that I've done to individuals and to families by the way I've used principle. Yeah. You know, at their expense. Mm -hmm. Thinking that I was trying to be biblical, trying to be Mm -hmm. true to God. And this whole idea of being right at other people's expense. Mm -hmm. Ah, I wish I could do it over again. I
2: relate. I do. I would raise my kids differently. I would teach Bible studies differently. I'd be a different kind of neighbor and leader. Yeah. Mark, didn't your grandfather say something to this effect of the realization?
1: Yeah. You know, he looked back and he had been a pastor He'd been a doctor before a pastor, but then he became a pastor. But then he was a part of church splits and arguments and even legal entanglements within the church that became very public, got in the press. He was a fighter. He thought he was doing it for God. In fact, what was so interesting is that his heart was captured by Christ, and that was much of his message. But he still looked back at the end of his life, and he said, grace, he's quoted often. as a grace. If it weren't for grace... I'd be sunk. Yeah, he had a lot of regrets.
4: If any of us say that we have lived life without regret, then we are being dishonest because all of us have regrets. We're in this text in Galatians chapter 1 where we have very clearly seen Paul unpacking things from his past that he clearly regrets, even though, to your point, Lisa, when he was engaged in it, he really believed he was serving God with his whole heart. And what broke him out of that was grace. So to have him write about this in a letter that's all about grace, Mm -hmm. as we've seen so many times, Mm -hmm. is so appropriate. He started the story yesterday talking about the persecution, and then he says, But God saw fit to call me by grace. himself. And he talks about how he didn't go up to Jerusalem, but he stayed away and just allowed the Lord to teach him and nurture him and grow him in his understanding. Now today, we're going to get the next part of the story where he actually does go to Jerusalem and we're going to see what that looks like too. So let's read verses
3: 18 through 24 and that ought to get us through chapter one this week. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other apostle except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard it said, The one who formerly was persecuting us is now proclaiming the faith he once tried to destroy— and they glorified God because of me.
4: Now, there are a couple of really interesting threads that go through this part of Galatians 1, and one of them is the timeline stuff Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because Galatians 1 and 2 are really important as scholars try to put together the timeline of Paul's experience and when this happened and when this happened. Three years. Mm -hmm. Then he goes to Jerusalem. He's there 15 days. Notice the attention to detail there. He doesn't say, I was there a couple of weeks. No, he's there 15 days with Mm -hmm. Peter. Mm -hmm. Then... I didn't see any of the apostles, except James, not James, John's brother, James, the (laughs) Lord's brother. So he's being very precise about this. And I think he's doing that because he's under attack. So it's like when you're giving testimony in a trial. And if somebody says, well, that's not what really happened.
2: Well, no, this is what really happened. In fact, he says in verse 20, this is not a lie. What I'm writing to is not a lie.
4: And again, what's the attack? Well, they're attacking his message and his apostleship, the Judaizers who are trying to bring law on top of grace. And he's telling his story of a changed life as to why the gospel of grace is the message that they have to stick with and not bring in all the stuff
3: of Moses on top of it. The do not lie phrase, though, seems Mm -hmm. weird to me Mm -hmm. where it's located Verse 20, it says, In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. But all he's just said is that I went to Jerusalem and met with Cephas. I met with James. I have a hard time seeing people question that. Oh, okay, great. You did that. Why does he feel like he has to defend that part of the story?
4: And I think that this is going to become more clear when we start getting into chapter 2. But just for today, what he's doing is he's building a platform for the validation of the message of grace. He started off by talking about, I did not receive this from men. I received this by revelation of Jesus Christ. And I spent three years in the desert being schooled. Three years. Being schooled by God Mm. on this before I consulted anyone else. But then he came to Jerusalem and we'll find out that in these Jerusalem encounters, and there are a number of them that he has, but in these Jerusalem encounters, we see him not as a maverick, not as a guy out on his own, but as a team player.
2: Well, and he specifies, which you just pointed out, Bill, and maybe this is part of the answer, Daniel. He specifies that he's taught by Cephas, Peter, and also with the Lord's brother, who yeah. intimately would have known so Jesus as well. So he notes with them. Yeah. yeah.
4: Yeah, what you're seeing here is first his message mm-hmm. is validated because it was given to him by revelation. Mm-hmm. Then it's validated because it's reinforced in the wilderness. Then it's validated because the lead disciple and Jesus' own half-brother mm-hmm. have endorsed it. Mm-hmm. So what he's doing is he is building his case for why the message of grace is trustworthy. Remember a few days ago when we went back, who are you going to trust? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, who are you going to trust? You trust Jesus. You trust God the Father. You trust Peter. You trust James. <laughs> mm-hmm. And all of these things are coming together to say this is why grace is it. And this is not just me out here on my own doing this. Look who's on board. And then as the ultimate thing on change, when he goes to Syria and he starts preaching Christ, the people there say, wow, this was the guy who used to persecute us. And now he's preaching the very message, the very message of grace.
2: In verse 22, I was personally unknown to the churches. Yeah, All they knew is what his before was, and now what is after is. Before grace, it was all about Judaism and advancing it and the law afterwards. It was all about grace
4: and in between is this message that it's not by works which we have done but by his grace he has saved us and that is the message that paul was fighting so hard for because hanging in the balance are these men and women the churches of galatia who need to be reminded
0: that it really is all about grace that's his message the message that we'll see developed throughout the rest of this letter to the Galatians. It's all about grace. Well, this is Discover the Word with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel and Ryan Day. And we're looking at the message of grace that Paul is defending in Galatians chapter 1. And in our next episode, we'll be moving on to Galatians chapter 2 because Paul's letter has a whole lot more to teach us about grace. In fact, there's so much for us to learn in this book. We're devoting a full episode to each chapter, six chapters in all. And I hope you'll join us for all six parts of this study. It's all about grace on Discover the Word. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to Discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinger. Discover the word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.